This is James Patterson, and you're listening to Five Questions with Dan Chavel. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Chavel. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is one of the best-selling authors of all time, James Patterson. Patterson has written 147 novels since 1976. He has 114 New York Times best-selling novels and holds the New York Times record for most number one New York Times bestsellers by a single author, a total of 67, which is also a Guinness World Record. But what he's most known for is his enduring fictional characters like Alex Cross and Michael Bennett. I caught up with James to learn how he became a prolific author, his connection to historical figures like John Lennon, his writing approach, and why he cares so much about childhood education for this podcast episode. What would you say the biggest turning point in your life and career was that led to you being so motivated to become the CEO of a large ad agency and a best-selling author? Weirdly, I was in advertising, but I've been clean for a long time now. I had to, on a Sunday, I had to go from the ocean. I had a house near the ocean, and I'd drive back to New York City to do advertising stuff. So I was on the the, um, Garden State. And it was wall-to-wall traffic going like five miles an hour, okay? And then the other side of the road, the cars were going like about every 15 seconds, whoosh, a car would go past, whoosh, another car would go past, whoosh. And after about an hour and a half of this object lesson, I understood something that changed my life, which was I needed to get on that side of the road. I was going the wrong way. I was, I'm in traffic. It's busy. It's hectic. I'm going to a job I don't love. I need to get on that side. And that's when I made the decision, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do nothing but write, write novels. And and honestly, I mean, that's where it happened. And, And also, I mean, there were other things I decided around the same time, but it was just looking at that thing going, I'm on the wrong side, man. I'm on the wrong side of the road. I'm going in the wrong direction. I remember for me, it was, I was doing an eight hour class for my company at the time, Fortune 200 company. And it was like, they had thousands of products and services and solutions. And after that class, I was so inundated and so bombarded and so stressed out. I'm like, there has to be something better for me in this life. And Mm -hmm. so I started Googling and then eventually I became a writer and and Uh started Uh my own company. So it's, it's always these like, moments that trigger you and set you on this new path and you just need to embrace it like you have. So that's, that's great to hear. And speaking about your new books, you've written about historical figures such as your recent books with John Lennon, Kennedy's Muhammad Ali, and even collaborated with former US President Bill Clinton. Why are you so fascinated with their lives? And how have you been able to tell their stories in a unique way? You know, doing the uh, the Kennedy book, for example, you know, that was an interesting thing in terms of really delving into the Kennedy, because a lot of people who've lived through it, when they read the book, they go, I, I forgot about a lot of that stuff, or I never knew it in the first place. And then a lot of people under 40, they don't, they don't really know the story. They know a little bit. With the Lennon book, the interconnections of my life, like I was living on Central Park West when he got shot. That night, I went and stood outside the Dakota with 100 other people after 
it was announced that he had died. So I was there. And the next couple of days, I was in Central Park. They had these people mourning and crying and weeping. And I mean, somebody was holding up a sign, why? And a friend of mine, a photographer who had been involved with the Beatles a lot, he took that photograph and and I have it in my office now. And then weirdly, I'm in Florida and the house that we have is connected by a bridge to the house next door. That house next door was owned by John Lennon and Yoko when he died. And they were redoing it and they planned to basically live, well, what is next door, uh, six months a year or so. And they were bringing up Sean. And John had really become much more of a father than he had ever been in his past. And he had found himself again, I think, musically or so he said he had. And then a love story with with Yoko, which at the time, you know, a lot of people kind of pissed all over it. But nowadays we would say, you know what, it was a beautiful love story and God bless him. In those days, people didn't, they didn't want to accept it. They didn't want to accept that John was with Yoko, but I mean, they were really in love. And that comes out in the book too. Yeah, it's so interesting, the stories we tell each other and ourselves in the moment versus in hindsight and looking uh-huh, back and uh-huh, uh-huh. analysis. And I find that, especially in your case, having those type of connections, plus, you know, once you choose a subject, it forces you to go into it and do research and talk to maybe people who can fill you in in, in right. ways. So I think that's- yeah. such No, a, I talked to, John, to Paul McCart and yeah, it was it was fascinating. And with McCartney, those two, you know, they sort of vied for like who's the sort of the leader of the band kind of a thing. And that was probably a little bit of what broke up the Beatles initially. Uh, and I think there was some guilt about that with both of them. And and in later years, they they got closer again. And I think you know Paul still regrets that it dissolved the way it did. You know, I, I think if he could have done it over, he he tr- would have tried to figure out a way to, to stay closer. Because initially they when after the Beatles broke up, they were sort of mean-spirited toward one another for a few years. And I want to switch gears and talk about your writing system. How do you decide on your approach to writing each book and which collaborators will be the best fit for each genre and audience? Here's what I think about in terms of the audience. I pretend there's one person sitting across from me. I'm telling them a story. I don't want them to get up until I'm finished. So uh, it's really important to me in terms of what I do. I don't want to bore them. I mean, that was the thing with the Kennedy book. How do you tell the story and just keep it really moving along? It's the way I do the Alice Cross books and, and the kids books that I do it's it's vital that the kids don't get bored so that's that's a big part of it and and, and probably the most impo- important part of it you know with the kids books I do a lot with Chris Grabenstein we're good friends and we we both have good sense of humor and we you know so we click nicely there's a writer I work with JD Barker and he's kind of a loose cannon and I'm kind of a of a sniper very disciplined and whatever so it's a nice combo and I, I'm a shrink and uh, we, we have to sort of work it out every time with every book uh, but not you know, pretty much nobody leaves and it's a nice environment and there's not a lot of pressure. It's a nice back and forth. And with President Clinton, it was very comfortable, very nice. And you've donated to libraries, classrooms and indie bookstores. Why is childhood education the most important cause that you champion? Well, look, I mean, there are a lot of things we could try to do. I don't know that I can have any effect on global warming, but in terms of education, we can actually affect stuff right now. If we taught movies in classrooms, it wouldn't be a bad thing. We could talk about character and plot and, you know, how you structure a story, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if we if we started with Ingmar Bergman movies, kids would go, oh, I don't like movies, you know. And unfortunately, in a lot of schools, we spend so much time on grammar and the rules, and then we give them stories that they don't necessarily relate to. And I think it's a mistake. I think we need to give them more stories where they go, that was a cool story. Let's read another story. We're not preparing everybody for Harvard. 
Harvard. But what, what we want them to do is certainly come out of grade school and be competent readers. The percentage of kids reading at grade level in this country is under 50%. Wow. I'm working with the University of Florida. They've been working on a program for five years now. They have that number up into the mid 80s. So we have the vaccine. We know how to fix this problem. And now it's just an issue of getting state governments to go, okay, we're going to use the vaccine. So we're working with the government in Florida now, because if we can get 70% of the kids in this country reading at grade level, man, that's going to save lives. More kids will wind up going to higher education, at least get, certainly getting through high school, and, and they'll be better prepared to go into the workforce when the time comes and take care of their families, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If they can't read, eh, it's difficult. They're starting life behind the eight ball. There is, as you mentioned, a good, strong connection between reading in your childhood and then employment eventually. And what is your best piece of career advice? Well, you know, I I think that somebody said, you're lucky if you find something you like to do, and then it's a miracle if somebody will pay you to do it. So I think the first part of it is try to find things that you really like to do. Look for things that you have a passion for, and you got to work at it. I used to work at a mental hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts. I worked my way through college there, and I worked a lot of night shifts. And I just started, and I wasn't a big reader before that, and I just started reading like crazy, because a lot of nights, it wasn't a whole lot to do, 11 to 7 in the morning shift. And then I started scribbling stories and I loved it. I hadn't really never thought about being a writer, but I just, I loved doing it. It was that simple. You know, try to find something you have a passion for or some job where at least part of it will fulfill the passion that you have. You know, I love to solve problems or I'm problem solver. I'm a people person. Okay, well, what are people person jobs where that skill, that love that you have, that whatever, you know, can be used. You know, and if that doesn't work, you get a regular job like the rest of us. You go into advertising for a few years, whatever, even though you don't love it, but it's, it was okay. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, James. To follow his journey, you can read The Last Days of John Lennon and find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where he shares his latest book releases, appearances, political statements, and family. 